Yesterday was a beautiful day. I don't know how many of you got outside, but Diane and I started our day driving up Coal Creek Canyon, observing the beauty, but on this occasion, a little more heaviness because we're heading up to a memorial service for a young man, 30 years of age, who suddenly and tragically passed away. I was in a room about this size filled with people, probably only a half a dozen that I knew before this event, and spoke. The world is filled with things like this. Every day, the pain, the suffering, the heartache, the loss. As I was sharing with this audience, everyone is impacted by the loss of a friend, a loved one, but particularly his partner, his mother, father, sister. Their lives have been changed forever. The day before, I talked to my nephew, Kyle. He's about 28 years of age, just found out that he has type 1 diabetes, and he's going to be on insulin the rest of his life. Just in a heartbeat, his life has changed. How do you speak to these things? How do we respond to these things? There is a popular Christianity that I've observed on television and radio and in books that are written today that will say this, if you have enough faith or if you go to church and do the right things or give enough money to our ministry that your life will not experience that kind of pain. But that's really not true. People who love God, believe in God, follow God, go through sorrow, sickness, pain, and death. It is not a measure of your spirituality. And we can see that over and over in the scriptures. But every day we feel and experience the pain and the losses in this life. So what do we have to say? Well, I can tell you, I have nothing to say. It's of real value, but God does. And when we come to this last paragraph of 1 Corinthians 15, it is the most powerful, beautiful, magnificent, and helpful passage that I know. And it ends with a crescendo of how we're to respond when these types of things happen. Because they'll happen to you and they happen all around you. And so this message, especially as we're getting ready to enter into Easter, uh, to me the timing is perfect as we prepare for that. Title of my message is From Suffering to Glory. We talk about eternity, being with God, the new heavens, the new earth. We've been discussing that over the last several weeks of how God will restore to the perfection of Garden of Eden and beyond that. To me, there are many reasons why that I'll not go into, but it'll be more magnificent, more incredible, the world that we will live in. But we will enter into that glorious state through suffering. So I say, through suffering. You say, oh, that's not too encouraging. Well, it is the reality we all know. We, we do experience that. We've experienced it the last two years. I, I was just thinking it's been two years since we quit meeting. And we're trying to survive and COVID and 
politics and <laughs> all the other things going on in this world. This is the path that we are on. It is to glory through suffering. Now, when you understand that, it helps you with perspective. doesn't mean your problems go away, but it helps you with perspective. We have a number of witnesses to this fact. I give you Jesus, Paul, and Peter. In Philippians 2, it describes Jesus as the one who, in humility, though he's equal with God, descended to the earth and became man and humbled himself and became obedient to death, even the death of the cross. So it talks about this from heaven to earth, in humility, suffering, pain, death, resurrection, and then it says, wherefore God has highly exalted him. So the path of Christ is from heaven to earth, suffered, died, buried, rose again, seated with the Father in glory. So Jesus said, follow me. So your path is going to be his path. So don't be surprised. It's not going to be, well, Jesus went this way, I'm going to go this way. This is Paul saying in Romans 8, in verse 16, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. So we're his children. And if children were heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. So we suffer with him, we are glorified with him. And then Paul says this, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that will be revealed in us. So he said, you can't even compare what you're suffering today to the magnificent glory that is to come. Peter says this in 1 Peter chapter 4, he says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though some strange thing has happened to you, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's suffering, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. We share in his suffering, we share in his glory. For those of you women who are involved in our Romans 8 study right now, our Bible study, you're, you're right in on this in Romans 8. Diane and I have been talking all week. <laughs> That's a real benefit for me. Um, so she wrote a really good message for me. I'm kidding. But I think any of you men that are talking to your wives in this study, it, it is it's just so parallel to this, these thoughts. And so I started digging into the concept in the New Testament of suffering, sorrow, pain in this life, and the glory that comes. And I had so much material. I just I just got it. You know, I'm going to try to keep this simple and on point today, but everywhere I turn, you see this pattern for the life of the believer, the life of the follower of Christ. Yes, we do suffer, but this is, this is what he's working towards. So you've heard the expression, the Via Della Rosa. That is the way of suffering, and it pr pretty much is the describing when Jesus is falsely accused, he's uh, the kangaroo court, and he is now bearing this cross to Golgotha where he will be crucified. This, and this path, this way of suffering is, is really what we live through too. 
every believer in some sense in, in the agony of this life will follow that path, the one who said, follow me. So, of course, this letter, writing to, uh, and I, I don't want to go back and repeat everything we've been through, but this is a letter to a specific group of people in Greece, uh, in Corinth, the city of Corinth, to believers. And he's challenging them. Um, they are suffering. So Paul's talking to them as they suffer. How, how do we now respond? How do we respond to this? And they were experiencing suffering under Roman domination. They were suffering, many of them, for being Jews, for their religion. They were suffering in a fallen culture of, of all of the sins and evils that would happen in any culture. Corinth was a particularly wicked city um, for many reasons. Just geographically where it was located, you had ships coming in on one side of this isthmus and ships coming into the other side transporting cargo. People from all over the world are coming there. And uh, so there's not a lot of accountability. <laughs> for those sailors and merchants and that sort of thing. So a great, great deal of wickedness, and where you have a great deal of wickedness in a city, everyone's gonna feel the pain of that. So these people were going through a great deal of suffering. And Paul, personally, um, had experienced that. I mean, you, you read through the life of Paul, and he, he speaks and writes biographically, and confessionally. In other words, he weaves his whole life story through this in a very transparent way, which I think most of us love that because uh, he's sharing these truths, how he's working through them in his own life, which I find very helpful. And he is speaking to suffering people. He is a suffering person himself in many ways, and he's preaching about a suffering Christ who rose from the dead, it is now glorified. So this is his context. And I, I liken it to a caterpillar. You know, it's, it's a caterpillar, it kind of weaves that cocoon, and, and it's like this, this, um, this caterpillar all bound up in this cocoon, finally breaking free into a glorious beauty of a butterfly. And this life and this world and, and this decaying state is, is like that. And someday, though, this is what will take place. All of creation, and this is what Paul mentions, is all of creation is groaning. You know, yesterday when I'm in that service, looking into the eyes of those people, I, I felt the groaning. This world is groaning, and we groan in this existence. So, title of the message, From Suffering to Glory, and we're going to see it in three ways. This kind of, the, the way I'll work through this in our outline is the reality of it, the reason for it, and then our response to it. What do we, what do we take from this? So, first, the reality of it. And I would say, if you, if you write down what is the reality of this, it is, we shall be changed. He says this twice in, the, in these first few verses, verse 51 to, to 53. He says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Well, 
This word behold, you know, I was reading through several translations. A lot of you, when you're studying your Bible, you'll have, I usually have several translations, English translations out there. And a lot of the modern ones say, look. And you know what, that's a lot easier to say. When I say to you, behold, <laughs> kind of like, that's kind of an archaic word, isn't it? But it's really a better word here. It's a better word. Because it's not just like, look. It is like, stop and look at this and think about it and take in what you are seeing. So, I like this, even though it's not smooth in our contemporary English. But it is, it is the idea that, that what Paul is trying to say, stop where you are, and, and I want you to see this. This is amazing. Stop and consider. And when he calls it a mystery, a mystery is something that used to be hidden that is now clear. Of course, a lot of that is Old Testament. Uh, I was having a conversation with uh, a couple... Uh, ladies before the service about reading through Leviticus. <laughs> and I said, if you get through Leviticus, you can get through the rest of the Bible. But so much of that is like in seed form. And you're thinking, what is this? What is this? When you get to Hebrews, you start to say, wow, this is, this is how all this is developing. What was hidden in the past now is being made clear. We shall be changed. So in what way? He says, will not all sleep. I always thought that was a good line for in the middle of a sermon. We shall not all sleep. Well, he's speaking about death. He's saying that not everyone is going to die. Now, that's the normal course of things. Of course, he's, he's expecting Christ to come at any time, which we should be too. Some of you will experience his coming again. You know, and I was thinking of all the ways you could go. <laughs> Have you ever talked about that before? Maybe you don't, but we thought, how do you think you'll go? <laughs> um, this is the best way to go, is you see him and he comes. And so this is what he's talking about. At any moment, at, in any time after the resurrection, the promise of Jesus will be fulfilled. And it says, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, it's just like a, like a flicker, and the sound of a trumpet, which is the announcing of this. You will hear the trumpet, and all of a sudden you see Christ. And what is going to happen, and we see this taught all through the New Testament, and we see remnants of it in the Old Testament in seed form. And what will happen is when the trumpet sounds and we see him. It says, the dead are raised imperishable, incorruptible. So when, I don't know how you take care of dead people in your family. You know, sometimes we, because we have these conversations, you know, you want to be buried in a casket or you're going to be or cremated, you know, and, and we kind of think, well, that's a big deal to God. You know, the, 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 I don't know. Um, I don't see anything in Scripture that says that. But wherever your ashes are, <laughs> wherever that got spread or sent, uh, if you got vaporized in something, what it says is when he comes, that body is going to be resurrected, brought together, and made completely new. Completely new. 
I mean, better than when you were in your prime. <laughs> okay? You are going to have a new body that is imperishable. Your old body perished. This new body is imperishable. So that's the first thing going to happen. The second thing that will happen is those of us who have believed in Christ. This is, this is for believers who have passed away, who are sleeping. They're really, their body is that way, but they're with the Lord presently. They meet their new body and are with the Lord. And then for us, we are changed. We are changed. We don't go the through the experience of dying, but all of a sudden God gives me a new body. And I can hear, and I can sing, <laughs> and uh, I can move around, and that body also is imperishable. It will not be corrupted. And then he finally says, you are going from mortality to immortality. We have mortality. We, we're frail. But he is transferring us to immortality. Now, that's, that's what's happening. Th this is what is real. This is the reality. We shall be changed. The second is the cause, and I think the reason for this. And the reason this happens to us, the new bodies, meeting with the Lord, the, 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 those that have passed away, meeting with a new body, us meeting Christ with a new body, is because of the resurrection of Christ. So we've talked about the central core essence of the good news, the gospel. Uh, the good news essence is that Jesus came into this world and he lived a perfect life. He died on the cross for our sins. He was buried. He rose again the third day. And he offers to us the gift of eternal life. And that life is brought about by his conquering death and giving to us a, re a resurrected life. So the phrase I love, death is swallowed up in victory. So what is the reason we have all of this change and transformation and new body and because death is swallowed up in victory. Isn't that powerful? It's a, it's a quote from the book of Hosea. So the, it's one of those seed form things in the Old Testament. So I wonder what that means. Well, here's what it means. Death is swallowed up. I, I feel like that's just like a yes. It's not just, well, we won, we won. No, death is swallowed up in victory. It's an amazing thing. So he says in verse 54, 54 57 are giving us the reason when the perishable meets on with the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, that's in Hosea, death is swallowed up in victory. He says, oh, death, it's kind of a mocking of it. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So what he's saying is that sin has a sting. It has a pain. It, it stings you. And death has victory. Because ultimately when you live through this life, we all, we all unless Christ comes, are going to die. 
There is no escaping this. And as we've said, the two great enemies that we have, that we have never in all of human history been able to defeat are sin and death. Sin has that power over us. We keep on sinning, don't we? Remember a guy told me one time, a well-known preacher told me, he said, I've gone six weeks without sinning. I didn't say it right out loud, but I know that's a lie. He just, <laughs> you know, I, you know, to me, I, I wonder if I get through five minutes without having a thought I shouldn't have or say something I shouldn't say. Um, so I, I think this is what's so powerful is that, that his death, burial, and resurrection completely obliterate the power of sin and the power of death, the final enemy, the power of death, to overtake my life. So death is swallowed up in victory, and we are changed. So I'm going to come back down now to the last part of my message, which I want to, the so what. What difference does this make for us? And the response to it we find in verse 58. And verse, they're all, these are all good verses, but verse 58 you ought to put on your mirror on a 3 by 5 card. Um, not the mirror in your car. Um, but have this and go over it because it is so incredible. Here's what he says in verse 58. He says, therefore. So whenever you read therefore in the Bible, look and read what it's there for. <laughs> therefore, my beloved brothers. Now, the word in the Greek is just brothers, but it means brothers and sisters. So your translation may say that because he's speaking to everyone in this church. Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. I love this. So based on what we've just read, that we shall all be changed. That's coming. And the reason and the authority that we know this is true is in the power of what Jesus has done. He says, be steadfast. You see, it's more than just a, hey, you can do it, suck it up, I believe in you. It's, it's not based on enthusiasm or positive thinking. It's based on the resurrection of Christ. And, and that's why I challenge you to be a word-filled Christian. Be in the word. You don't need to read 100 chapters a day, but be in the word. Study it because it is the anchor point for everything that you live. If you're just trying to get a right frame of mind apart from the promises of God, you're not going to make it. Well, you'll make it, but you'll be miserable. <laughs> Because he, he never falters. So to be steadfast and immovable means you're grounded, I'm settled, I'm secure, I'm steady, I'm resolved, I'm without changing, and I do not give up. I am focused on this. That does not change the cancer. That does not change the death. That does not change the car accident. But it gives me perspective and hope and encouragement in the midst of it. And it will also give that to everyone else who's around you. It is not in vain. So he says after this, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. What is the work of the Lord? 
What is the work of the... He says, I want you to thrive, to abound, to flourish in the work of the Lord. What is the work of the Lord? Well, it's Saturday church work day. We're going to come and clean the building. Or I'm going to be a missionary to China. What is the work of the Lord? And I, 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 thought, I, I stopped and I thought of this. And here's, here's as best as I can say it. The work of the Lord is all that matters eternally. Did you kept, get that? The work of the Lord is all that you do that matters eternally. There's a lot that we do that doesn't matter eternally. That's why when I talk to people about politics and pontificating on various things, there is so much that doesn't matter eternally. Your rights, your privileges. For example, let me just try to give you some examples. I grab my son and we're going to work on the car. I don't do that as much now because everything's electronic. <laughs> But I remember back in the day when you're changing brakes or changing a muffler or you're working on something else, if you're popping the hood, and I've got one of my boys, and we're both in here doing this, okay? I'm here, <clears throat> Ross or Reed, they're over here. This doesn't matter in eternity. That car isn't going to last, even if we fix it. What matters is that boy on the other side of the hood. Are you with me on that? And I can get frustrated with this car or feeling good about this car or go buy a new car. Woo! <laughs> it doesn't matter. You know, I bought a few new cars, not many in my life. The same thing happens to all of them. Eventually. So the difference is not that we don't work on cars because, you know, things break down in life. It's not the car's not bad. I want you to think about, ladies, you're, you're planning an event for your family and you got your daughters involved with you and, and you're planning this event. The event doesn't matter as much as your daughters. Some of you moms that are at home with your kids, to me some of the most thankless work of, you, you know, you're, you're doing another load of laundry, I'm, I'm doing this, I'm helping my husband. You know, women <clears throat> so, so many times are giving themselves constantly to the rest of us in, in ways that we can't, guys don't even comprehend. And it can be thankless. But you have to remember, it's not all the stuff you get done. It's the people along the way. For those of you that go to work, you've got a job. Can I tell you this? A year, a few months after you retire or quit your job, no one will remember you. They don't care. That's a very, so, you know, you think, you know, you know, and I'm a, I'm a significant part of this. You know, we wouldn't be able to get this done. Yes, they would. 
as you're walking out the door, they're already discussing who gets your computer in your office. Now, this doesn't mean we're still supposed to be good stewards with our jobs. Work hard, you go to work, you get your education, you do the best you can. This is not a call to laziness, but perspective. And so when I'm working in a business, it's really not about the business, it's the people in the business. Those are the ones that have eternal souls. So do your best, but, but remember why you're there. Maybe job is building a skyscraper. You get it built, people will admire it for a few years, it'll come down eventually. That's your pride, it's a much greater sense of satisfaction that, that you know that along the way, you helped one of your coworkers while you're building that skyscraper to come to know Jesus, to help his family, to restore, help a marriage get restored. What matters for eternity? So let me come back again to that definition when he says, be steadfast in the work of the Lord. It's all that matters for eternity. So ask yourself that next time. Does this really matter for eternity? And how does it matter for eternity? Because it won't be in vain. It will not be empty. So this type of thinking, this resurrection life for these disciples had profoundly affected them. Paul was one of the apostles that came on the scene lately, but since he's the author, we've talked about the people in Corinth, okay? We're going to talk about Paul, and then I want to talk about you. So Paul, as I said, he writes confessionally, he writes his story. So before Paul becomes a Christian, do you know what he used to do for a living? He's a very religious, wealthy, successful businessman, Pharisee of the Pharisees, and what he did was he persecuted Christians, put them in prison. In the last part of chapter 7 and going into chapter 8 of Acts, we find him really orchestrating the stoning and murder of Stephen. He, he was to be feared. So on the road that he's taking to Damascus, all of a sudden Jesus appears to him. <laughs> and his life is radically transformed. It is radically transformed. So when he gets to Damascus, the Lord says to Ananias, who's a believer there, Paul's coming, you need to disciple him. And he goes, Lord, Lord, we've heard about this guy. We've heard about this guy, what he's done. So the Lord just kind of calms him down with these words. He said, but the Lord said to him, for he, Paul, is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings of the children of Israel. Listen to this. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. How's that for an introduction to your next segment of life? I'm going to show Paul how much he will suffer for my name. Well, if you follow Christ, 
There are many ways that we suffer. We suffer like the rest of the world suffers, with just life. We also suffer uniquely as a Christian. This is what he's speaking about. When you think about Paul writing later in 2 Corinthians, he says, with great labors and imprisonments, with countless beatings, often near death, he said, five times I received at the hands of the Jews 40 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked, a day and the night I have spent adrift at sea on frequent journeys and dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from Gentiles, danger in the city, dangers in the wilderness, at sea, and he goes on. But not just that. Do you remember how we talked last week about his physical trial? He's, he was given a thorn in the flesh. And we're not sure what it was, but I believe it was a result of malaria that he experienced. He had problems with his eyesight. We're not sure, sure of that, but he, he says in, in chapter 12, he says, so to keep me from being conceited. <laughs> in other words, you know, to, to keep me dependent on God and not proud and not lifted up, he said, a thorn was given to me, you know, the flesh. He says, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that he sh it should leave me. Remember I told you, I said, it's, it's okay to pray <laughs> that God will heal you. It's not always God's will to heal you. I think it's magnificent. God's get, God gets incredible glory when he heals us. And just so you know about your pastor's theology, I believe in healing. I believe in healing. But it's not always God's will because he, made her, he may get greater glory by giving you the grace as he did with Paul that through his weakness, Christ is magnified through that suffering. So he says in chapter 4, so we, we do not lose heart. This is where I'm, I'm getting into verse 58. This is a parallel. He says, so in, in light of all that we've just said here, we do not lose heart. We do not become discouraged like other people become discouraged. We have something. He says, though our outer self is wasting away, the body, the, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For, he says, for this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Now, I know we're not a shouting church, but you know what? I think we ought to just shout Praise God. I mean, you think what he just said there? This momentary, momentary and light in comparison, affliction, is preparing us for a far greater experience of his eternal glory. And that's why in Philippians he says, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm torn between the two. And he's not talking about chocolate or vanilla. He said, I'm torn between the two. Philippians 1.23, he said, I have a desire right now to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. But for your sakes, I want to stay. <laughs> he's just torn with that. So he's, he's in the moment with these people, but he's also longing for that day. 
Some of you have heard the name John Newton. John Newton wrote uh, the familiar hymn, Amazing Grace, probably the most popular hymn of all time. But in his memoirs, he uses an illustration. And so I'm going to borrow this from John Newton. Um, won't be perfectly like he expresses that. He said, imagine this, that you're riding a carriage. This is your life. And you're on the road, and he's picturing London as a city, and, and in the city of London is your inheritance. Now how this talks about we are heirs, joint heirs with Christ. God has given us an inheritance. All this discussion. So in the city of London at this place is my inheritance, and there I have wealth beyond comprehension. Now, where I add to this little story is when we liken it to being with the Lord is that every sorrow, every messed up relationship, every sickness, every disease, everything gets resolved when you get to that place to receive your inheritance. So when you receive your inheritance, part of that is a new body, a perfect state, uh, perfect relationships, all of the joys, the, the food and the drink and the, the celebration, it is beyond comprehension. And so you're riding your carriage and you're a mile out from the city and your carriage breaks down. What do you think you'll do? You're going to sit there and cry about the carriage? How much time are you going to spend trying to fix it? Okay, if it's an easy thing, probably fix it and you get better, better time. But I'm, but I'm telling you this, it doesn't destroy your life. It doesn't consume your thinking. You know, because one thing is your mind is I've got a mile to go and I'm going to be there and everything gets resolved. Now, for you, what is it that's your point of pain today? What is it that's caused your carriage to break down and grieve you and cause you to groan? Here's what Paul says to you. Lift up your eyes and look. Lift up your eyes and look. The city is a mile away. He says, it's soon. For some of you, and I know when I look out here, because I know many of you very well, physical infirmities, financial hardships, broken relationships, injustices, unfairness, loss of a loved one, loneliness, depression. I challenge you with this verse, this last verse, therefore, based on everything he said, my beloved brothers and sisters, be steadfast immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Folks, may this be what we look for every day, what we look for and how we live.
from suffering to glory. Father, thank you for your word because we base everything we believe upon what you've said. We take great joy in it. We find great stability in it. We have great hope in it. And I pray that while we suffer in this world, it would not rob us of our joy. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.